was a night unlike any other. There was a stillness in the air, quiet calm in the evening sky. Grace was on the horizon, an unfathomable mercy, a love deeper than anyone had ever known. This silent night was about to give way to a chorus which would change the world forever. For on this day, in the city of David, is born a Savior, Jesus, the Son of God, the Word in flesh. God had reached down from heaven to earth to draw us to himself, to make a way to bring us home. Today, the heart of God is on full display. For God so loved the world. It's probably, arguably, the best known verse in all of the Bible, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't the verse itself beautiful? It's said about Martin Luther that as he was dying, he quoted that verse three specific times and he said about it, it is the Bible in itself. You could take that one verse and you could pull it apart and you could talk about that verse word by word and you could spend weeks, you could spend months and you would never exhaust everything that is there for us to understand. But I want to take just a few moments and I want to draw your attention to one specific word that's in that passage. For God so loved the world. God so loved the world. When you think of Christmas, you think about hope and you think about joy and you think about peace and these other things that are so valuable. But when you think about Christmas, at the heart of Christmas is the very thought of love. Now, please don't laugh at me when I tell you this, but I like the Hallmark Christmas movies. I ask you not to laugh at me. I haven't watched as many this year, and there are some specific ones that I pick out and I like to watch because at the heart of those particular Hallmark movies, it's a love story. You know, man and girl meet, boy and girl meet, boy and girl go different ways, boy and girl come home, one of them comes home, meets boy and girl, and they fall in love again, and they get married. At the heart of those, you can tell the same, it's the same theme for everyone, right? Just got different actors, you go about it from the country setting or a city setting or a mixture of settings. It's you know, pretty much the same theme every time. And what is it that's at the heart of it? It's a love story. Uh, last week, somebody asked me, why do you like the sound of music? Well, first of all, that's my generation. That's 1965. That's when I was growing up. But you understand at the heart of the sound of music is this incredible what? Love story. This incredible love story. So when you think of Christmas, that's what you think about. A lot of the movies, a lot of the things that you're seeing at Christmas are centered around love. And the greatest love there is, is the love of Jesus Christ. 
that God would send his only son for us is absolutely amazing. That word love is found 320 times in the New Testament. It's found 44 times in the Gospel of John alone. In other words, every time you pick up your Bible, you are reading a love letter that has been written to you with a loving message. You say, Pastor, but I read some portions, and there are portions of it that are scary. There are portions of it that are very rigid and very hard. Yes, but that's a story a bigger picture story that we have to see that's the unfolding of this love of God for mankind that brought into this world his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. As, you, as I was thinking about this whole matter of love, I was thinking about one of the principles of biblical interpretation, and it is the law of first mention. In other words, if you want to know what a word means, you want to understand the depths of a, the meaning of a word, as you go back and find where it was first used, uh, in language, in the language of the Bible. Do you realize that the first time the word love is used in the Bible, it's not in the Genesis story. It's not that Adam loved Eve or Eve loved Adam or that God loved Adam and Eve or e Adam and Eve loved God, though I'm sure all of those things were, were true. But you don't find the word used in any of those contexts in the opening chapters of the book of Genesis. You don't find it until you come to the 22nd chapter of the book of Genesis in Abraham has his beloved, long-awaited son. He's 100 years old. Actually, by this point, he's more than 100 years old, but the son was born when he was 100 years old. His wife was 90 years old. Think about it. Grandparents sit in the room changing diapers at 100 years of age, running to the store for formula at 100 years of age, of getting a kid ready in the morning at 100 years of age. And this was the favored son. This was the beloved son that was given to Abraham and to Sarah. And now he's a young boy. And God comes to Abraham and God says to Abraham, I want you to take your only son, the son whom you love. You want to understand love? You look at a father and a son. You can look at a mother and her children. You can look at a parent and children, and you see the depth of the love that they have for one another. Or you can go to the first time it's mentioned uh, in the New Testament. The first time this word is used in the New Testament is in the Gospel of Mark. And you know when it is? It's when Jesus goes down to the Jordan River to be baptized by John, and he goes down into the water, and he comes up out of the water as those that were baptized today, following the example of Jesus. And what happens when that occurs? There's a voice that speaks from heaven. God the Father speaks from heaven, and he says, this is my, what are the words? Beloved son. In other words, in the Old Testament, the first time you meet it, it's a father's love for his son. In the New Testament, the first time you meet it, it is the father's love for the son. But the first time you meet it in the Gospel of John, it's not the love of a father for a son. It's the love of God for the world. The love of God for the world. Think about that for a moment. The word world is used 187 times in the New Testament. And you, would, you might be thinking to yourself, well, surely God loves the world. I love the world. 
And you and I are thinking of the same thing. We're thinking of the beauty of the skies above us, the sun and the stars. We're thinking about the trees and the grass and the beautiful flowers and the gardens and the lakes and all of the things that we know of as a part of creation. And who doesn't love those things? We look around us and we love all of creation. But when God speaks in John three sixteen about his love, He says, for the world, he's not talking about the creation itself. That is the the inanimate or the animate things like trees and water and sky and stars and sun and moon. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about mankind. For God so loved mankind. Now, do you understand how significant that is? Stop and think about mankind. Do you realize what the Bible says about mankind, about that world that it says he loves? In Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, it says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. He goes on and he says, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence, and God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. That's the world that in John 3.16 we're told God loves. I'm talking about the world that's described for us in Psalm chapter 14, verses 1 to 3. Listen to them. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven and upon upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand who seek God. They have all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. And yet that's the world that John 3, 16 is talking about. For God so loved the world, the world that he says he loved is the world that's described for us in Mark chapter 7, verses 18 to 23. Listen to it. And he said to them, are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him because it does not enter his heart but his stomach and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods? And he said, what comes out of a man, that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. And yet John 3.16 says that God so loves the world, that world, That world, not the one we're talking about when we're talking about the skies above us or the creation of the trees and the grass and the flowers and all of the beauty of the gardens. We're talking about humankind that the Bible describes over and over again as being corrupt and evil and sinful. The kind of world that God says he loves is the world that's found in Romans chapter 1, verses 28 to 30. Listen to it. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind 
to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Wait a minute. That world is the world that the Bible says God loves? Absolutely. And every one of us better be thankful that he loves us that much and was willing to send his son so that his son could be the sacrifice for our sins. The world that the Bible says God loves is the world that you look at in your newspaper, if you still take it, or online, if you read it there. The world that God says he loves is the, is the world that you see on the newscast at night and in the mornings and at noon. The world that God says he loves is the world of people that you read about in your social media feeds where you're getting the news, sometimes biased, but nevertheless getting your news that's fed to you. That world that causes you sometimes to shake your head and ask the question, what in the world is this place coming to? You ever felt that way? And yet John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. Now, I don't know if you understand what I'm saying to you yet, but I hope you'll get grasp it. God loves us because God is a great God, not because we are great people. We're made in his image, and we're special in that sense of the word. But the reality is there is nobody born into this world who isn't born like everybody else born into this world. We all have the same propensities toward evil, and some of us carry it out further than others carry it out. And God comes and he says, you know what? I know what you are. I know what you're like. I know what you've done. I know where you've been, and I want you to know something. I love you. I love you. I love you so much that I sent the best of heaven into a manger in Bethlehem that ultimately he might go to the cross of Calvary and pay the penalty of our sins. That, my friends, is an amazing, amazing love. You know, some of you would be willing to give your life for a friend. The Bible says that. We'll, get, we'll lay down our lives for a friend but listen to what the Bible says about the love of God for those of us who are described in Genesis and described in Romans 1 and described in Psalm, Psalms 14 or described in Mark uh, chapter 2. L listen to what the Bible says about the way God loves us. It's found in Romans 5, 8. It says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, you know all that ugly description that you read about in the newspaper and see on the news and see in your news feed of the social media that you read about throughout the Bible? While we were still sinners, <laughs> this is amazing love. Christ died for us. I've got good news for you today. 
You don't have to keep living the way you're living. You don't have to keep living without hope. You don't have to go on with the shame and the misery of the sins of your life. You don't have to go on carrying that burden and not knowing what tomorrow holds. You don't have to go on fearing death or fearing what comes after death. You don't have to go on in the mess that you're in. There is a God in heaven who knows exactly who you are and who I am, and he loves us so much that he sent his son that his son might give his life on Calvary to pay the penalty of our sins. That's the greatest love there is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Max Lucado wrote about this love. Listen to what he had to say. Peek through the Nazareth workshop window. See the lanky lad sweeping the sawdust from the floor. He once blew sawdust into the night sky. Why swap the heavens for a carpentry shop? One answer, love. Love explains why he came. Love explains how he endured. His hometown kicked him out. A so-called friend turned him in, uh, turned, turned him in. Hucksters called him a hypocrite. Sinners called God guilty. The termites mock an eagle. Tapeworms decry the beauty of swans. How did Jesus endure such derision? For God so loves the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, God's love is unconditional and it's unchanging. It is his desire that we might receive him and delight in him because he wants for us the very best. And today, the greatest gift you could ever receive would be the gift of his love for you. In John chapter 3, verse 16, he says that whoever believes in him. Do you realize that the word believes occurs a hundred times in the gospel of John alone? A hundred times. What does it take today? It won't take believing in Santa Claus. It's going to take believing in Jesus to be your Savior. And when you do that, then you become a child of the living God and your sins are taken away and you're given the gift of eternal life and you're promised a home with him in eternity and you no longer have to live this life with the guilt. You no longer have to live this life with the fear. You no longer have to live this life with the uncertainty of what comes next. Listen to how John describes it in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Listen to it. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Today, if you trust in Jesus Christ because he came in Bethlehem, he went to a cross and paid the penalty for your sins and rose again and offers the gift of eternal life. If you believe in Jesus today for that gift, you will receive the greatest 
love there is to give. And some of you are going to hold your children in your arms in just a little while. And you're going to hug on them and you're going to kiss them and you're going to smile and be happy and you're going to be filming them while they get out their presents and you, they look through their gifts. Some of you are old enough to remember. You remember the old brownie cameras? A little square box. And you put it on a pole, had, had a place you screwed in a handle on the bottom of it, and then you put this light bar across the top, and it had four floodlights on it. And in our family, uh, our family Christmas videos, my daddy has one of those, and everywhere we're going, unwrapping something, the light is shining, and all of us are like this. You're going to be filming. Daddy was doing what he loved. He wanted to see his children smile. In a few minutes, if you haven't already, you're going to see your children smiling. You're going to exchange gifts with each other. You're going to share love with one another. But there is no greater love to experience than the love of Jesus Christ.